And God, we just we are here this morning, gathered together to lift Your name high, Lord, and to see You uh, glorified, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your presence in our lives. Thank You for the work that You're doing. And Lord, I just ask and pray that Your Holy Spirit would have a free reign in this service this morning, Lord, and that we would see Jesus glorified and see Your glory and be drawn to You, Lord. Thank You for um, all the friends and and the brothers and sisters that are here with us this morning. Um, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you. And uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to open up with, you can be seated. Uh, I'd like to open up with Psalms 96 uh, this morning. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exalt and all that's in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I was just so blessed reading that this morning and being reminded how our God reigns over everything. The trees clap their leaves for his glory. The ocean roars for his glory. And it's just a call for all of us to tremble before him and to see how great and mighty he is. Um, Let's sing it. Kind of the theme that I just had on my heart for uh, this morning, the song this morning, is Our God Reigns. Let's open up with that song, and I'll ask you all to stand if you're able to. Um, If you're not able to stand, that's okay, but let's um, stand and sing it out.
Yes, Lord Jesus, we just declare that this morning and thank you that you do reign, Lord. No matter what goes on in this life, in this world, no matter what um, forces are at odds against each other and how chaotic things seem, Lord, you reign. And God, we can rest in that and know and trust that you are in control. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Amen.
I hope that's each of our prayers this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Uh, you can be seated, and I'd like to open it up to, for anyone to share a testimony. If you have a testimony or um, even a prayer request or whatever, I'll just open it up this time. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we lift up Gloria to you this morning. And God, I thank you uh, for her life, and Lord, her, her love for you and her care for her mother. And Lord, I just pray, God, that as she goes through this difficult season, Lord, and, and just the legalities of everything, and um, Lord, that you would give her grace and that, Lord, you would just open the way, open the door, God, for her to to spend time with her mother but yet to go and and fellowship with other people and and uh lord we just pray that you would have your way in that lord just comfort them both of them in uh this time in their life lord jesus in your precious name we pray amen I will sing of my Redeemer. I thought of this hymn about midway through this week, and we used to sing this a lot growing up, and so I love this song.
Son of God within to me. Praise the Lord. Good job on whoever was echoing that. I love that. I know the hymn books have it written up that way, and uh, that's, that's amazing. Sounds good. Does anyone else have a testimony to share or uh, something the Lord's been doing in your life? Sing that together. That's more of an upbeat song, and 
Um, I like to hear you all, and I can hear you better when you're standing up. So, here we go. You are more, you are more than my words will ever say. You are Lord, you are Lord, all creation will proclaim. You are here, you are here, in your presence unmakeable. You are God, you are God, all the else I'm letting go. Oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your
Yes, Lord, we just join together and thank you that you are a good, good father. Lord, it's who you are. And Lord, you don't love us because of our performance. You don't love us because of anything. You love us because it's who you are. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for that, Lord. And pray, God, that we would just rest in that, that each one here this morning would just rest um, in, in your love for us. And to know that, Lord, you took out the penalty of sin on Jesus so that we could be free, Lord. Uh, thank you, Father, for that. Amen. All right, you can be seated, and I uh, will turn the time over. There I am. Welcome, everyone. It's such a joy to be here this morning and worship with the saints. I was deeply blessed and encouraged just by singing together with you and coming into the presence of the Lord together with his saints. It's important and refreshing to do it personally alone with the Lord, and that's very necessary. But I find a deep need in my heart is met with fellowship of the saints coming together into his presence with others. Blessing his name. Um, we have this Sunday the privilege of having Brother Matthew Rydberg and his wife Marissa and their family with us. He, uh, they are a part of the church at Windsor Christian Fellowship. And he's agreed to share the word with us this morning and also as the Lord leads him to share his personal testimony, his journey to faith in Christ. So however the Lord leads you in that, brother, we're blessed to have you here and your wife, Marissa. Thank you for joining us and welcome to everyone else also. We're, we're happy to have you here this morning. As we were singing that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. The Lord brought these words to my heart in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And the Lord brought this question to my heart. What has my cross done in your life today? 
This is what it did for Paul. The cross of Jesus Christ wasn't a pretty thing hanging on the wall. That's not the cross of Jesus, in case you think it is. That's there as a decorative. That's all. It might remind you of the cross. But that's not how they thought of the cross when Jesus was crucified. That's not the cross they looked at. And that's not the cross that Jesus experienced, is it? No. His was the old rugged cross. Wood with splinters. Nails driven through it. Hanging from it. Blood running from his body. And it did something to him. It killed him. And that's what it did for Apostle Paul. In Galatians chapter 6 he says, But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He boasted about that. How did he boast about it? Oh, that's an awesome thing, the cross, and sing of the cross, and talk of the cross to others. Here was Paul's boast. Now I wonder if it's yours this morning, as you reflect over your past week. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That was his boast. That cross crucified him to his world and it crucified the world to him. That's what the cross did to Jesus. That's what it did in Paul's life. My dear brother and sister, what has it done in your life this week? Have you taken up your cross any of these days and followed him? And if so, what has the cross slain in your life this week? How has it crucified the world to you and the attachment of the world to me? So I was encouraged with these words. Just like Watchman Nee said many years ago, he was a Chinese pastor who eventually died in the Chinese communist prison for his faith. And he said this to his church. He said, the cross that I preach must crucify me. The cross which I preach must crucify me. How does it slay me? It crucifies the world to me and me to the world. My affections to this world, my emotions to this world, and we live in a tumultuous world. A lot of change, a lot of fear. Does it crucify the fear of this world to you? Does it separate you from the anxiety that the world wants to put on your soul? Does it set you free and separate you from the pride of this life? Right? First John says, All that is of the world and of the Father is the pride of life, the lust of the eye, and the lust of the flesh. Does it crucify the lust of your affection to this world? Has it done that to you every day? Pride of your eyes, that which you look at, the lust of the eye you long for. And the cross comes. Separates you. Longing for to death the pride of my life I've really done well today I've had a good week, how about you? how so? how was your week good? 
Was it good because the cross was in your life all week? That's what made my week good. The cross of Jesus Christ daily crucified me to this world. The world to me doesn't get better than that, dear child of God. Right? Doesn't get better than that. Okay, well, Brother Matt, would you come forward and I'll pray with you and we'll give the time over to you. And uh, then Anthony will close us with announcements. And again, I'm just blessed to have every one of you guys here and worship the Lord together with all of you and with Brother Matt as he shares. Let's commit him to prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I lift up my dear brother. We do together as your children. We lift up our dear brother as he stands before us to share the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, we pray, we ask you that you would be glorified, lifted up, exalted for who you really are today in our brother's testimony and in every one of our lives. So that we can again today take up our cross and follow you and be your disciples, separated from this world unto Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for our brother and his sis- our sister Marissa and their family. And we pray that your grace would be strong in their lives and would flow through them. As you said, Jesus, out of our inner man shall flow rivers of living water. Let it be so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you mic'd up? Uh, no. You didn't want that? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Well, good morning, everybody. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come out here and share. And I just want to echo uh, what Phil had to say. I just My wife and I, we recently went on a vacation to Florida. And uh, during that time, it was a two-week vacation, but I, God was really showing me the, the, the beauty of the body and fellowshipping. And, uh, man, I was just so blessed just to come here and worship with other saints um, and, and gather around Jesus Christ and that work of the cross. Um, and so it's something very special. And, and many of us know with how the coronavirus, you know, taking time away, being separated from the body. Um, but that's something that's just been dwelling on my heart. So I've just been blessed this morning um, worshiping with you guys. So F- Brother Phil asked me to share my testimony in a word. Um, and so I will do that. I'll start with my, my testimony. My name is Matthew. Uh, I've been a Christian now for nine years. I got saved when I was 23. And, and so I'd like to start with how kind of God was, was drawing me and wooing me. Um, I didn't have much of a background, religious background, in my, my family, in my life. Uh, my mom was Catholic. My dad was Lutheran. And uh, so early on in my, my life, I went to Catholic school. Um, or I should say CCD, it was like a Sunday school. And, and there, there were some values, some of the story of Christ that was instilled into my life. We, we rarely went to church as a family. Rarely went to church. And, and I remember I just had a, a dislike of, of being there. I, I, I didn't want to uh, go to Sunday school. Um, and I remember telling my mom, Mom, I don't, I don't want to go anymore. And her kind of pleading with me. Um, well, just, you know, do it for, for one more year. I was in fourth grade. In fourth grade, 
you make communion in the Catholic Church. And she's like, just make communion, and then you don't have to go anymore. Um, and as many of you know, the, the Catholic Church is very works-based. There's, there's certain things you have to do uh, to enter into heaven. And, uh, and so I finished communion, and, um, and then, then after that, you know, we, my family didn't go really much back to the Catholic Church. Uh, my parents ended up divorcing. Uh, they, they fought a lot when I was younger, separated when I was in third grade or fourth grade, and uh, they briefly got back together, and then in sixth grade, they, they separated. And so that was a big strain on my, my life, but um, something that I, I do appreciate with with when I did go to Sunday school, there was um, a sense of, of a desire to follow God in my life. And so I remember spending a lot of times in prayer, a lot of times um, just crying out to God, just being hurt that my, my family was broken. And, um, and so my dad for a time lived out in Arizona. Uh, we lived in Florida. And um, <clears throat> uh, he, he ended up coming back to Florida and soon after my father remarried and my stepmother was the one who really started to introduce Christianity into uh, the life of my family and into my life. I'm very thankful for her. Uh, she began, uh, we began to attend church as a family. Um, it wasn't, you know, every other weekend I was with my dad, but once a month or so, Christmas was was more focused around Christ and, and more focused around uh, the work of Jesus. It wasn't just about the presence. Um, and so she began to, to introduce Christianity. My dad's life began to change as well. Uh, you, you know, he began to do these devotions. I remember seeing him early on in the morning. You know, he'd be out in the living room and he'd be reading his Bible, doing his devotions. And, and so these, these little fruits have impacts on our life. And I remember those were just little seeds that were, were sown into my life. And unfortunately, with, with my parents being separated, my dad was, was the strict one. He was the authority, authoritarian, you know. He was the one who, who brought the law and made sure us kids were in line. And then my mom, on the other hand, was completely opposite. Anything went with her. Um, her philosophy in parenting was, I just want to be my kids, you know, friends. And so it was a very awkward balance growing up. And by the time I got into high school, a lot of peer pressure began to come in. And that's where sin really started to get hold of my life. Um, that's where, uh, you know, I, I, I began uh, drinking and getting into different um, atmospheres, uh, party lifestyle you know, every, every weekend uh, turned into, you know, where's, where's the big party at? Where's everybody drinking? Soon after that, drugs began to came in. And this was something I thought when I was a kid, I would, I would never get into this. You know, I would never do drugs. I would never uh, be one who wastes my life away with alcohol. And, and uh, the more time went on, the more the bondage of sin began to come in. Um, I love to go out onto the streets and preach. And, and one of the things I I like to share with pre people is that I knew uh, both the pleasure of sin, sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end thereof leads to death. And, uh, and so the beginning times of this was very pleasurable, it was very, very fun, you know, uh, to fill, fulfill all my selfish desires, do whatever I wanted to do, to seek after any gratification of my lusts. And, uh, and so that's what I began to do into high school and, and then going off into the college with more freedom um, not being at my house, you know, it, it just became worse. 
uh, was really uh, addicted to marijuana and uh, that definitely opened up gateways for other drugs and so I began to to use drugs even even sell uh, little bits of drugs on the side uh, continue to life um, just filled with selfishness I mean uh, times when I didn't have money I remember going and uh, robbing stores for little, you know, little granola bars or, or just food. Remember going there with friends, just a thief um, in bondage to sin. And the truth is that everybody at some point in their life is in bondage to some sorts of sin. And, um, and so just in bondage and just in a life of, of wickedness. But it was so odd because I would go home, maybe after a night at the bar, uh, night just getting very drunk. Then I'd go back to my house and I remember just crying out to God, knowing it was wrong, asking God, God forgive me. It was a very basic prayer. God forgive me, you know, forgive my sins, forgive my family's sins, please bless us. Uh, amen. You know, and I remember praying that, I don't know, five nights a week. Um, but I'll tell you that the, the heavy conviction wasn't there. The heavy conviction wasn't there. And, um, God is just so merciful. As I look back and think, I, I should have spent, I, I should be in hell. I deserve hell. I spent so much of my life in rebellion to God. His mercies, you know, are, are so great. He continued to draw me, continued to woo me. I remember two specific times where uh, I had a near-death experience. One was surfing. Um, living in Florida, I did spend a little bit of time surfing, and I remember... There was this big storm, and uh, big storms surfers typically like. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't any good, but uh, I, I did enjoy it because the swell, the the, the waves would be pretty pretty, pretty large. Um, and so I remember going out there one time, and the waves were probably around eight feet or so, which is pretty big for Florida. And um, swimming out and getting right to the break, right where the waves begin to crash. And uh, seeing a set come in, and just seeing the the the, water, the sun glistening on top of the wave, and you know it's about to break, and me swimming with all my might because I want to get underneath this wave before it breaks, and maybe about 15, 20 feet in front of me, this wave breaks, and it just had so much force it ripped the leash right off my board, took my board all the way to the shoreline, and um, I was there in the the white water. Um, which typically isn't, isn't too bad, but the rip current was just so bad. I was trying to swim to the, the shore, and I, I couldn't get there. I spent 30, 45 minutes just fighting this rip current, and finally, you know, I, I began to cry out, put my hands up, scream for help. And uh, I came to this point where I said, I'm going to die today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to drown, you know. And um, in that, I don't know, maybe I relaxed. This peace came over me. And I just laid on my back, and I just slowly paddled back into the water, and I made it. I was out there, like I said, for maybe 45 minutes. Um, I remember another time uh, with a, a gentleman I used to hang out with a lot, and we got into a lot of drugs, and there was this, this night where I, I took a lot of cocaine and um, drank a lot of alcohol. I remember my heart beating so hard. And it's four or five in the morning, and I was just thinking, I, I'm I'm having a heart attack. I, I'm I'm going to die. And uh, 
my buddy came in to, to try to console me a little bit. Hey, you're all right. This has happened to me a lot. Just relax. I just remember for, for hours just laying there, my heart beating and thinking, is my heart, is this the, the day that I die? Is this the time that, that uh, my life's required of me? And that fear of death really engulfed me because I was afraid to die. I, I didn't want to die. Even though I, I professed Christ, even though I said I was a Christian, there was this fear of death in my life. And so I, I, I want to talk about those things because God is so merciful. I, I, I want it to be clear, I, I deserve hell. You know, I, I deserve the condemnation of God, but God is so loving and merciful. Um, he's so long-suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Um, soon after that experience, uh, I played a lot of basketball growing up. And in, uh, in high school, uh, I was well. I was good. I wasn't good enough to get into college. So about a year or two after I got out of high school, I, um, I made the decision, I want to go play college basketball. And I began to train for that. I ended up meeting a good friend of mine, Josh Delone. Um, he was on the basketball court and uh, never saw him before. And afterwards, we were guarding one another. He, you know, he just started talking to me. Hey, you're, you're pretty good. Or you, you play college ball. And uh, he was doing the same thing. He wanted to go play college basketball. So Josh and I, we quickly became good friends. Uh, spent a summer working out together, training for basketball six, seven days a week, spending three hours in the gym. And, and we ended up looking at a couple different schools and we went and walked on a small school in Miami together and played there for, I played there for a year. And, uh, and, and sin just became worse down there. I mean, um, life was kind of difficult out there. I, I ended up leaving. Josh and I kept in contact. Uh, and then, then opportunities started to open up for me. I remember I, I, my dad, I, well, before that, I, I wanted to go into the Navy because I was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I've been, been going to college for three years now. I have an associate's degree. Uh, but what do I want to do? I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I had a cousin that worked uh, in the nuclear industry um, with the Navy. He was a nuclear chemist. And I said, you know what, that, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to do that. Um, and so I ended up taking the ASVAP test, scored high enough, um, and was on the path to go in the Navy. Well, I had some medical records, and so for about nine months, I couldn't get in, couldn't get in. And one day, my dad drops this, this the paper off uh, to me, and he says, hey, you know, you're, the local community college has this, uh, this nuclear. We had a St. Lucie nuclear plant within 30 minutes of where we lived, and, and they were having this program to train college students and bring out a new generation of workers out there. And so I ended up getting into that, and... Uh, and going to school. I spent another year, I spent a year there, it was a two-year program. My buddy Josh moved back from Miami and uh, I then moved out of my dad's house and we got a place together and we had all these desires for sin in our place. We thought, oh man, look at this, we got our own place, you know, we're back in our hometown, this is going to be great, we're going to have a lot of fun, life is going good. You know, I, I, I was on the path to a, to a good career. Um, uh, great job. And so we had all these desires. We, we moved in there, I think, around April. Well, my, my friend Josh, we'd have some interesting conversations with one another. We were 23 at the time, but we said, you know what, by the time we're 25, 
We want to slow down on the lifestyle we're living. We want to have good jobs. We want to, we want to have families. We want good wives. And in those conversations, we said, well, you know what? We should probably go to church then. And, and, and uh, you know, maybe we'll meet some good people. We'll meet some, uh, some good women. And, and it'll help us kind of slow down a little bit. So, I, I don't know, maybe two months. There was over two months period, we, we thought... Four or five different times we said, hey, the church is walking distance from our house. Let's go out there. Well, every weekend, Saturday night, we'd spend it out at the bars and we'd sleep in and we'd, we'd miss church. And, and, uh, and we, ne- we never made it to that church. Um, but just after that, and this is maybe three months or so after we moved into our apartment, uh, my, but my, my friend Josh began to get gospel tracts. And so gospel tracts have a, a huge part in my salvation, and, I, and my wife and I, we love to hand them out because they impacted me and my roommate so greatly. For five straight weeks, he received a gospel track and never had gotten one in his life before. But for five weeks in a row, he got it. And he'd bring it home. He'd be like, hey, Matt, I got another one. And we'd sit down and we'd, we'd read it together. We'd be like, yeah, we should go to church this weekend. And uh, we want to go, and boom, he'd get another one, another one. Well, the last one he got was um, he worked at Dunkin' Donuts. He was in the drive-thru, working the drive-thru. And two couples came driving through, and they gave him a chick track. And on the back of the chick track, uh, there was a phone number. And the, the man um, in the front seat, he said, hey, I lead a Bible study on Thursdays. Why don't you come out and, and check it out? And uh, so I remember him coming home. Hey, I got another one. We, we read through it. And uh, him saying, you know what? I think I'm going to call him. I want to go to this Bible study. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go with you as well. Well, I had to work uh, that next Thursday. But my friend, he ended up going to this Bible study. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget the change that he had when he came home. It, it hurts me kind of talking about it because he, he's, he's drifted from the Lord. But he came home and he said, Matt, I'm a changed man. He had tears in his eyes. He says, I'm not going to follow Jesus. I'm not going not to live the lifestyle that we're living, but, but Jesus is the truth. And I remember... Uh, just being blown away. Um, like, what happened? What happened to you? And uh, it was like, what ha- would you guys go over? What did you talk about? And so um, the pastor went over Genesis, and they were going through the book of Genesis. And so we sat down there that night, and we began to go through Genesis. And he just began to share with me, this is what... This is what the pastor was talking about, and uh, it was just great. He said he loved everybody there, felt like people loved him, and, uh, and so he was just in tears, and we went over the Bible for maybe an hour after he got home. And then so the following week, I was able to get off of work, and I went back out to this Bible study, and uh, my, my good friend Brett was preaching. It was a little home church, and... Um, he was preaching through Genesis, and I remember hearing the preaching, and I had been in church, as I said, throughout my life, 
a little bit here and there during high school. And I don't know if God opened up my ears at that moment. I don't know if I had heard the gospel before, if that was the first time I ever heard a, a preacher preach the gospel. But I remember being so convicted of my sin thinking that I had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, thinking that just because I, I believed in Christ and I you know, spent my, my prayers at night and asked God to forgive me, kind of had this, this Catholic thinking that as long as I asked for forgiveness, God would forgive me. I remember being so convicted and knowing that night after I left that Bible study that if I die tonight, I will go to hell. I need to get my, right, my life right with God. And so... It was a struggle for me for about two weeks, two, three weeks or so. I struggled knowing I wanted to follow Christ, but the pull and allure of the world also pulling on my soul. Um, I had so much going for me in life. It, I, I didn't hit rock bottom. Things were getting better for me every day. They seemed, they seemed good. I, I, I had a vision for the rest of how my life was going to be set up, and I didn't hit rock bottom. And I remember thinking, man, I'm going to have to give up a lot of my friends. I'm going to have to give up this lifestyle I'm living. I may have to, if God calls me to go to the ends of the earth, I may have to go to the ends of the earth. And I remember struggling with this for two or three weeks. And finally, I was in a church service uh, at a bigger church in our city. And I remember the pastor had an altar call. And I walked up there and um, I said, you know what, I'm surrendering my life to Christ today. And there on the altar, I, I surrendered my life. And uh, I think it was maybe two or three weeks then after that, I got baptized. But that's when my life truly changed, when I got baptized. I remember going out to the beach. The, the gentleman that led that Bible study had two other people he baptized that day. It was the middle of the summer, and I remember shivering. Just like in fear and anxiety of, man, if I, once I do this, there's no turning back. Once I go in the water, this is it. And I just remember like the, the spiritual battle in my mind of not wanting to do it. And uh, that day I got baptized, I came up, and I was a new man. Christ had, had put his spirit within me. That spirit of the world was broken off. I remember as I came up out of the water, it was almost like everything shone. Everything had a, a, a glitter and just this beauty to it. And uh, I had to work after that. And so I spent 30 more minutes at the beach, and then I drove right down the street to work. I worked at a hotel there. And I remember that God was speaking to me. And I never, never heard this before, but I, a, a car would pull up. I was a bellman. And just seeing the, the Christian fish on the back of the car, and I remember just sensing the Holy Spirit saying, I'm with you always, even unto the end. I'm, I'm all present. I'm in all places. I dwell within you. And, and certain things like that, I just, I, I sense God was now with me. And God had delivered me radically from that lifestyle, from, from sin, from uh, the bondage of it. My roommate and I, uh, we had such a radical change. I remember we, we called some of our friends together that we used to hang out with and and uh, we said, let's make them, a, we'll do a spaghetti dinner and let's, let's share what Christ has done in our lives. Let's tell them, you know, the change that we've had and, and how there's freedom and you don't have to live that kind of lifestyle anymore. And so we had, I think, uh, I think we had two of our friends over, or no, we had three people over. 
and we're sharing with them. We made them a dinner, and we're just testifying what Christ did. And I remember one of my other good friends, uh, John, had stepped outside to smoke a cigarette, and all of a sudden I get a text from him, but he didn't mean to send it to me. Uh, he meant to send it to someone else, and it said, Matt's really taken this religious thing too far. He's gone crazy. <laughs> and I remember just looking at it and laughing and being like, man, I love this man. I want him to know what I have. And, uh, and so we began to, um, to share with our friends, and uh, many of them we just stopped hanging out with because uh, of the lifestyle they were living. Um, but God really birthed in us uh, a lifestyle of seeking God through His Word and in prayer. And I'd like to talk a little bit about prayer today, but I remember the times of prayer we had and how special they were. I remember every night, uh, my roommate and I, we'd come home, we'd talk about our days, you know, how everything's going, uh, maybe what God was doing in our lives. And then we'd, we'd put on some worship music, and it wasn't anything for us to be on our faces in the living room for over an hour, crying out to God. And God came with such power. God came with such power in those seasons in my life. I remember seeing many people in our church come into the Lord, the victory that I had over sin. Um, and I just, I, I cherish those seasons I've had in my life of prayer. And that's what I'd like to speak to you all today about, about prayer. Um, I've got three scriptures here I'd like to read. The first one's in Luke 18. 18.1, it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. And then Luke 11.1, 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Here in these scriptures, I just want to highlight the importance that the Bible puts on prayer. Um, the disciples see this, this power, this, this presence that Christ had as he withdrew, as he prayed to the Father. And they cry out, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, the, the command of the Bible is that the saints of God would pray without ceasing. <clears throat> and Jesus he instructs his disciples, he instructs us to always pray and not to grow faint. And so I would like to look further into the importance and the power that prayer has in, in the Christian's life. And I'd like to do this with, uh, with four different points. First, I'd like to look at some quotes from old Christians of the faith, what they say about prayer. And then secondly, I'd like to, to look at their lives and see some examples of prayer of how God moved um, thirdly, I'd like to, to look at the lack of prayer in the church and some of the reasons for it. And fourthly, um, I'd like uh, a call for personal prayer, that we would be men and women of prayer. And so I'll start with some of the quotes. So please listen to these because uh, they stir my heart when I hear some of these quotes, when I hear of the men that went before us in this, this walk, whether they were persecuted or whether they lived in a life of freedom, but I, they stir me, the ones that knew God and that seen Him do exploits. Um, here's my, my third oldest boy, Leonard. 
Um, he's named after this man, Leonard Ravenhill. And Ravenhill says, there's no substitute to prayer and obedience. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, here's a quote from him. He says, a certain preacher whose sermons converted many souls received a revelation from God that it was not his sermons or works by all means, but the prayers of an illiterate lay brother who sat on the pulpit steps pleading for the success of the sermon. It may be in the all-revealing day so with us. We believe after laboring long and weary that all honor belongs to another builder whose prayers were gold, silver, and precious stones, while our sermonizing, being apart from prayer, are but hay and stubble. And here's another one by Charles Spurgeon. He said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten to preach. And maybe some of you know that, that Charles Spurgeon has uh, this name. They, people call him the Prince of Preachers. They say he was so good, he was so eloquent in his speech that, that people would be drawn in. It was so amazing how he wove Christ into his sermons and, and, and the insights that he had into the scriptures and what power this man had when he preached the gospel, when he preached and taught the Bible. But this man says, I'd rather teach one man to pray than to teach ten how to preach. <clears throat> John Wesley says, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. And a contemporary of his, George Whitfield, he says, Whole days and weeks have I spent prostrate on the ground in silent or vocal prayer. He also says, Believers keep up and maintain their walk with God by secret prayer. The spirit of grace is always accompanied with the spirit of supplication. It is the very breath of a new creature, the fan of the divine life, whereby the spark of holy fire kindled in the soul by God is not only kept in, but raised into a flame. <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards, he says, when God is about to do a mighty new thing, he always sets his people praying. And I would to God that, that God would set his people praying again in this time. Lord knows our culture, our churches, we need revival, we need uh, we need to be a praying people. Jonathan Edwards also says, when God is about, uh, I'm sorry, he says, he that lives a prayerless life lives without God in this world. And I, I think that it's the Christian experience and, and I can testify those seasons in my life of prayerlessness where my closet is so neglected, where, where God is pushed out of my life, how far I truly live from him. But in those seasons when I'm seeking God in prayer, when I'm seeking Him with a pure heart, when I'm, when I'm coming before Him day after day, how close He is, how, how sweet that communion with, with the, the God of heaven is. His presence is there. And so I can testify that in my own life. It, it's such a true statement. Martin Luther said uh, one day, he, uh, he tells some man, he says, I have so much to do today that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. Uh, he put such an importance on seeking God for the decisions that were going to be made, the, the way he would have to go throughout the day. William Law, he says, he who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy and happy life. He has learned to pray. How true it is, how, how sweet it is when we know how to pray, when we commune with God, the peace that surpasses all understanding in our souls.
And the last one, the great missionary uh, Hudson Taylor who went to China. He says, do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray, for prayer requires strength. Um, And I put these in here because we look to these men in the church and we say these these men have done mighty works. Uh, If we think of the Reformation, um, Martin Luther, you know, he had a very important big part in the Reformation. Uh, John Wesley, out of John Wesley came the Methodist Church, um, along with his contemporary, George Whitfield. The revivals that happened here in America early on uh, in in the early 1700s with uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Reading these, it stirs me, and, and I wanted to stir the body of the importance they put on communion with God. Um, some of the examples now I want to give of some of these testimonies. Uh, this first one's by Charles Spurgeon. And so there's a story of uh, these students in England. And these students, they, they get some time away from class and they say, let's go see the famous Charles Spurgeon preach. And so they make their way over to London. And they, they, they come up to Charles Spurgeon's church uh, and they enter the doors. And when they enter the doors, they see this older gentleman and he quickly greets them. And he says, do you guys want to see the furnace of the church? And um, it was July, and so it was very hot out. And they, the last place they wanted to be was in a furnace. And uh, they, they didn't want to offend this older man. They, they said, sure, yeah, we'll, we'll see the furnace of the church. And so he takes them down the stairs to the basement. And he comes up to the basement door, and he opens up the door, and the students look in, and there's this roar of prayer. There's se- over 700 Uh, congregates in there crying out to God for the blessing of that sermon that was about to be preached by Charles Spurgeon. And then the man says, this is the firehouse of our church. This is why God has blessed our church. As he shuts the door, he then introduces himself and says, yeah, I'm Charles Spurgeon. Um, But he had a praying church. How much of the success that Charles Spurgeon had in his ministry was because of the congregation that he had behind him? holding up his hands as, as Moses, his hands began to drop, and, and they held up his hands in prayer. Another one uh, story is of John Lawley, um, and he was of the Salvation Army. He worked with William Booth, and this man was known um, as the man underneath the stage. And as William Booth would have these different outreaches, as he'd have these different uh, times of preaching uh, in different areas, John Lawley would always be there and, and be one who would covenant in prayer as uh, Booth was preaching. And it is, said of, it is said of William Booth that he had a very difficult time. He could, he could lay down the law. Uh, people would be convicted under sin. They'd, they'd even rip the hymnals sometimes, uh, the smaller hymnal books of 25, 30 different pages. They'd be ripping them as he was preaching because they were under such conviction. But he had a hard time with an altar call. And uh, he would usually cry out, where's Lollery? Lollery. And many times this man would, would come out from underneath the stage and he'd come out dusted. He'd come out sweaty and hot because he had been praying for the blessing of God, praying for the salvation of souls uh, of the sermon that was going on. And then he would stand up and he would, he would then preach Christ to these convicted people in, the, in their outreaches and, uh, and droves of them would come to Christ The quote that that was said is that when he would get up and and preach, 
that men would seize hold of Christ like drowning men and women. That they'd grab hold of him in in a a frenzy as people are drowning, looking for some sort of life vest, some sort of buoy to grab onto. And the last man I'd like to to talk about is uh, Daniel Nash. And during the Second Great Awakening, uh, Charles Finney was one of the big preachers during the Second Great Awakening here in in the United States. And uh, many people uh, forget about, they see Charles Finney's ministry and they say, so many people came to Christ, so many people... Uh, were impacted by his ministry, but he had he was a man of prayer, but he also had this man Daniel Nash, um, and so this is from the book Daniel Nash, Prevailing Prince of Prayer. When God would direct where a meeting was to be held for Charles Finney, Father Nash would slip away quietly into a town and seek to get two or three people to enter into the covenant of prayer with him. Sometimes. He had with him a man of similar prayer ministry, Abril Clary. Together they would begin to pray fervently for God to move in the community. One record of such is told by Leonard Ravenhill. I met an old lady who told me a story about Charles Finney that has challenged me over the years. Finney went to Bolton to minister, but before he began, two men knocked on my door, uh, on the door of her humble cottage, wanting lodging. The poor woman looked amazed, for she had no extra accommodations. Finally, for about 25 cents a week, the two men, none other than Father Nash and Clary, rented a dark and damp cellar for the period of the Finney's Finney's meetings, at least two weeks. And there, in the self-chosen cell, those prayer partners battled the forces of darkness. Another record tells, on one occasion when I got to town to start a revival, a lady contacted me who ran a boarding house. She said, Brother Finney, do you know a Father Nash? He and two other men have been at my boarding house for the last three days, but they haven't eaten a bite of food. I opened the door to, to peep in at them because I could hear them groaning, and I saw them down on their faces. They have been this way for three days, lying prostrate on the floor, floor and groaning. I thought something awful must have happened to them. I was afraid to go in, and I didn't know what to do. Would you please come and see about it? His answer is, no, it isn't necessary, Finney replied. They just have the spirit of travail and prayer. And I would to God that spirit would come back to the church. And Finney, what power he then had behind his preaching. Uh, congregations and cities would, would be changed by the hundreds or thousands would be converted uh, when, when he would have his revival meetings. <clears throat> Now, I'd like to, to speak of some of the areas that I've seen in my life and, and that I see in the church specifically of the lack of prayer and some of the reasons for it. I think this is a, it's abundantly clear when we look at the church nowadays, um, you know, the, the prayer meetings have pretty much vanished. Prayer closets are empty. Uh, it's, it's very evident that the church does not pray as it once did. Um, Isaiah 64, 7, the first half says, And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. And so some of the reasons um, of this lack of prayer in the church is, uh, I believe, firstly and foremost, the lack of personal private prayer amongst Christians. Um, I've seen that struggle in my life, how how hard it can be. It's almost like like a wave going up and down. Good seasons where it's consistent. I'm seeking after God in prayer. And then seasons of that just that darkness and God is far 
But the prayer closets of Christians have, have uh, is very few. Um, Jesus, we read earlier, he said, you know, to always pray and not to grow faint. He says that our Father in heaven, who seeth in secret, he will reward us openly. God sees in that secret place. Um, there's also a lack of faith in God's promises to answer prayer. I've seen this uh, amongst people, praying people will be praying and, and promises that God has clearly expressed and said he would give to Christians. Uh, one man could plead with that promise and then the next word would be, if it's thy will, God. Does not, does not that show the lack of faith in the promises of God? If he has clearly shown that it is his will that he desires to do something or give something or lead some way, and then we ask him, if it is thy will. Um, so the lack of faith has hindered the, the prayer meetings in the church. Christians have not been taught to prevail in prayer. I think this is one of the most difficult things about prayer. As Hudson Taylor said in those quotes, prayer is a labor. Prayer is travail. Um, and to prevail in prayer, we must consistently go. We must consistently knock. Jesus likens prayer. He says it's, it's like a widow who goes before an unjust judge and continually goes to that judge and cries out for justice. And the judge says, I'm not a just man, nor do I fear God. But this widow, if she continues to come... I'm growing weary. And so he then gives her her plea. And, God, and then Jesus tells us, but that God the Father, he's not unjust. And how much more shall he reward? How much more shall he give to the elect who cry out to him day and night? Also, there's very little zeal for prayer in the church. Um, James tells us that it's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Prayer is as a, a, a fire, it's as a boiling water, it comes with passion when one pours their heart out before God. And that passion, it can ignite prayer in other brothers and sisters. I've seen it in my life, I've prayed with people, and, and probably many of you can testify too, you've, you've heard a man pray, you've heard a woman pray, and God has been so close, and it has stirred you, it has stirred that spirit of prayer. And so fervency is in prayer is one of the reasons that, that, that prayer lacks so much in the church. Um, also, the lack of prayer reveals our, our commitment to our own glory. We're not, we're not pleading with God and crying out to God, God, your glory, your will be done, your kingdom come. Seeking Him, what, what, is, what is your desire of how things ought to lay out? And so it reflects the, the commitment then for us in our own glory, and that leads into another one of, of how many things... We do in the flesh. The lack of prayer in, in the church, in our lives, um, are evidence that we do things in the flesh, that we do a lot of our works in the flesh. See, we must do the work of God in the Spirit, and that, that Spirit can only come when we spend time in communion with Christ, when we're alone with Him, when we're corporately together, calling on, on the name of Jesus, calling on God the Father to bless whatever it is, whether it's uh, direction for the church, whether it's the salvation of souls, different ministries. But if we neglect prayer, we're doing it out of our own strength, out of our own might. Another one is, is laziness. Um, prayer is, is very taxing. If the spirit of prayer comes upon you, it, it, it can be... It, God dwells with a broken and contrite heart. And that's the spirit of true prayer, is a spirit of brokenness and contrition of heart. And, and, and when the Spirit of God is upon a man or a woman to pray, and they're shut up with God, and they're, 
They're, they're pleading and praying for souls. There's great burden that comes with it. It's great toil. The Bible describes it as travail. To travail in birth. Paul says he travailed in birth again for the Corinthians. I know I've seen my wife travail four times uh, with our four boys. And it's, it, it is a work. It is intense. And that's how prayer can be. Um, and then the last thing is worldliness. Worldliness creeps into the church and it, it quenches the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God cannot dwell together. He has no fellowship with the world. And when world, worldliness and worldly pursuits and worldly desires begin to infiltrate the church and the conversation of the church, the Spirit withdraws. The Spirit of prayer then comes, comes back. And, uh, and so those are some things that can lack or cause the church to, to rack, lack uh, prayer. Some of the reasons for it. And the last thing I'd like to do, I'd, I'd like to, to, to call you all to be people, men and women, a church of prayer. To, to bring forth the kingdom of God here in Greeley, here in the United States, as we see with all that's going on in our country. God knows we need revival we need a revival. We need the glory of the Lord to once again fill the temple where men and women, unbelievers that would enter into the church would come with fear and reverence because the presence of God was there. <clears throat> and so we have looked at some of the things how God wonders in the, in the book of Isaiah. He wonders that there was no intercessor, that there was a prayerless people. Uh, the Bible teaches that Christians should have lives of prayer. We saw that we should pray without ceasing, that we should not grow faint in prayer. And then also we looked at some of the lives of Christians, fellow brothers and sisters that went before us and, and testified of the power of prayer. I think many churches' issues could be solved only if the church would rally together and get the spirit of prayer. Never are Christians more unified than when they see themselves pouring out the depths of their hearts to God. Are there divisions among you? Prayer will bring unity of the Spirit. Are there backbitings against your pastor and his work? Have you labored for him in prayer? Have you called upon God to rain the blessings of heaven upon him in his preaching? This certainly is your duty as a Christian, and God commands it. Has the congregation grown cold and stagnant, hindering unbelievers from entering the kingdom of God? Pray to the Lord of the harvest, who desires more laborers, and will anoint you for the salvation of souls. Has the will of God for your congregation grown dark and hidden? Pray to the Lord who will make your path straight. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. As long as the church will continue in prayerlessness, the darkness of the world will continue to engulf and overtake it. Schisms and divisions will continue to break apart the church and morality both in the church and in the, the society will continue to degrade. But when, the, when you go before the throne of God in meekness, as well as boldness and prevail in prayer, the Lord will rain righteousness upon you. So my question is, church, will you set your, your heart to seek the Lord? Will you set your heart to, to seek Him with your whole heart, that He would rain righteousness in this church, that He would rain righteousness here in Greeley, and that his kingdom would come. Let's pray.
Father, come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We declare that you have redeemed us and bought us with a price. And God, we seek to crucify our members today. We seek to come to you who is the head of the church, Lord Jesus. You are the head, O Father. Lead and direct your church in this season, God. Both this church here and the, I pray for the church across the United States, God, that you would lead and direct this church, the, the churches, Lord God, that you would bring us to a place of humility, God. We seek to, to seek your face, O Father. We seek for righteousness and truth once again to reign in the streets, O Father, to be proclaimed, as it were, from housetops, O God. God, we desire for a great harvest of souls, Lord, that you would be glorified, Lord. Jesus, for you have laid down your life you have given that great price and you were crucified, dead and buried, but you rose again and you are worthy to receive the reward of your suffering of the souls of men, O oh God. O oh, Father, bless and visit your church once again, O oh Lord. Give to us that sweet communion, God, as you, as you call and as you woo, O oh Father. O oh Father, give wisdom and discernment, O oh Father, give strength that we may Follow that calling and be obedient and withdraw to that secret place, God, where you will endue us with power, power from on high to have victory over sin, anger, and, and unrighteousness, and lust, O oh Father, and all sorts of wickedness. God, give us strength, God, that your church would shine, O oh Lord God, that your church would be unified, O oh Father God, that your church, that the house of the Lord would be filled with joy and gladness, O oh Father that our lives would be filled, that our households would be filled with your Spirit, O Lord God. And so come and minister, O Father. Minister your truth to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing the word with us, for sharing your testimony. Um, I didn't know the old Matthew, but I uh, do know the new Matthew, and I uh, have the privilege of working with him, and, and uh, I can say that without a doubt the the testimony of his life backs up what he shared here this morning, and that's, that was a blessing to me to hear you share your testimony and your heart and to share the truth of God's word with us. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. I'll open it uh, briefly here. If anyone has a personal testimony to share, you have anything to share on what the Lord spoke to you this morning as uh, Matthew was preaching? Uh, anything like that? Please, please feel free. Now's your time, Tim.
Amen. Thank you for that testimony, Tim. Father, I thank you for Tim, and I bless you, Lord, for his testimony. I know it takes courage sometimes for us to open up and share with others. I pray, Lord, that this testimony, you told us that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I pray that him just opening up and sharing this with us, Lord, would encourage himself and build him up and would be his his victory cry over the battle that raged in his heart and his life. Lord, you promised that you have come, Lord, to make us more than conquerors for him who loved us. That promise, Lord, is fulfilled. Amen. Anyone else? my wife struggling a lot. She was not then, not so much then until later. But yes, she was. We didn't know Jesus. And she'd often get awake at night and she'd see somebody at the door and she'd be afraid. She'd be afraid going, going out in the dark. But uh, I'd get up and of course there's nobody at the door. And life went on that way. She was very fearful. She was very much in contact with the spirit world enemy was trying to get her down, and she got converted that day at the chicken house. She left the chicken house singing, and that fear left her. It was such a drastic change to the point where I started reading the Bible. Even though we were brought up in a setting where we went to church, we thought salvation was 
we obey what tradition and just uh, do a lot of traditional things at the end here without ways to bed, never But when she got converted, that's when I started reading the Bible a couple months later. But anyhow, I just Paul's here. Paul. Very My wife got converted at the time Paul was He doesn't want to say his age. <laughs> I'm guessing uh, 37 or 80. 40. 40. <laughs> you have a lot to live up to on that name, Paul. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, John. Amen. The Lord has spoken to you, and uh, you feel the need to cry out to Him, to pray to Him, or want any counsel, please come talk to any one of our leadership team. I'm sure, Matthew as well. Please 
we are here for you and are happy to pray with you and talk to you anytime. A few announcements before we close the service. I just want to say thank you to all of you that are here. As if you who are visitors, thank you so much for coming and worshiping the Lord with us. Thank you for coming and sharing in partaking of the word with us. And as is our custom here, we serve a meal after the service, so you are all welcome to partake in physical food with us as well. And we find this a great time of fellowship with each other and a continuing of building each other up. So everybody, please do stay for that and uh, join us in, in fellowship over the food as well. And whether you uh, find this to be your home church or you are a visitor, please be in prayer for us as we, uh, the Lord is planting us in this community and uh, there are just, there are so many opportunities, there are so many needs here in this community and we want to be the Lord's hands and feet here in this community. So as you uh, think about us and especially those that live right here in the community, please be in prayer that God would use us to touch the lives of those around us. Also be in prayer for the Hershey family. If you're watching, we missed you here this morning. They are struggling with some sickness in their family that appears to possibly be COVID. I don't know if they know that for sure, but uh, I believe they're doing relatively well under the circumstances, but are uh, obviously trying to be safe and not spread that on, so be in prayer for them over this time as well. I think that's all I have to share. Food will be ready shortly. If you all want to rise to your feet, we'll dismiss with prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time that uh, you have given us here this morning to worship you, to cry out to you, and to hear from you. I thank you that you are a good, good Father. You are faithful in all of your ways. You are faithful in sharing your word and your heart with us. And I thank you for what we heard this morning. I pray that you would... Bless Brother Matthew and his family for coming and sharing with us. I thank you for the anointing you have on his life, and I pray that you would, uh, you would experience an outpouring of your blessing this morning, Father. Thank you for each one that is here. I pray that as we go from here, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on each one and that we would walk with you this week and draw closer to you. I want to take a moment to pray for the Hershey family as well. I pray, Father, for healing. And for strength as they walk through this struggle and and others of our friends, relatives, people that we know who are struggling with sickness and with this virus, Father, I pray that you would give strength. And most of all, that through these earthly struggles, your name would be glorified and people would be drawn to you in these days. Thank you, Father, for the food that has been provided. 
I want to pray your blessing on it, and I pray your blessing on our time of fellowship as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.